Well, good evening. How y'all doing? Well, that's good. I got a little cheering squad down here in the front. We still are working on getting everybody saved so they sit in the front of the pastor. Um, that would be nice. Um, I just wanted to uh, underscore the, the deal about the glasses. Actually, we're talking about giving tonight, so it kind of fits right in. But uh, I, I don't know about you, but we went out this week to buy glasses for uh, the guys that are going to Kenya. You know, these people went out and raised all this money. There's like 20 people going to Kenya. Uh, one of them is an optometrist and uh, goes to one of our other churches. But he's coming with us to Kenya, and we're excited about that. And um, they, they will probably be trying to put glasses on about 2,500 people. We have tons of prescription glasses. We're looking for 1,600 pairs of reading glasses, and uh, I found out the price of reading glasses has gone up in the last year. I uh, used to be able to get them dirt cheap at Price Busters, and now they're expensive everywhere. The place to go, because I went looking, I've been all over this place, the place to go is Walmart. And uh, you, you can get three pair for like $7.80. And it blessed me. I, I went and bought reading glasses, you know, several packs to give away to Kenya, and, and then I, I came home, and I have a hard time watching TV. These are prescription glasses. These are actually trifocals. And so I'm always watching TV like this in my recliner chair, you know, trying to do this all night long. And I started thinking about those reading glasses, and I thought, I bet you. you know, so I went back to the store, and I tried some of the expensive ones on, because they're one off on the rack. They're not three packs. I put them on, and I got about as far as I usually am for my TV, and started trying to read the the, the, the labels on the raw man packages, and, and, it, and it worked. And so now it's like I'm cruising when I'm watching TV. All because I got out of myself and gave something that's very small to me. Not the price of taking my wife out for dinner. And I gave it, and it's going to liberate a whole bunch of people uh, to be able to read, to be able to see their children's faces, their grandchildren's faces. Uh, this is a very, very, very good cause. Is this good? Well, um, we're going to be talking tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and a little bit of chapter 9 as we get into this. And we're talking about giving, about being godly givers. And I, I, I just want to kind of set the stage. We have a map. If I could get that map here up on the screen, uh, it would help a lot. Um, these people live in Corinth, okay? Um, this is who Paul is writing to. He started this church. And he is talking about these Christians way down here in Jerusalem where Christianity started who are living in deep poverty. Now, we think the reason that they are in such poverty is you read in the early part of Acts that everybody sold their land. They got into giving, but they weren't really necessarily giving with a lot of wisdom and, 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 and care. I was talking to a friend of mine tonight uh, before church. and He's going, you know, is it a lack of faith? I'm thinking about it. I got this old pickup truck that I use in my business. It's still got miles in it. I'm thinking about getting it painted, kind of fixed up. But I'm wondering if that's a lack of faith. I'm going, well, I think it's a, it's a good stewardship thing. Because he's got something else he really needs to spend the money on. So don't buy a new truck, do the other thing. Well, these Christians in Jerusalem, uh, we read in early part of Acts, they all gave away their land and their property. And so then forever, we're reading the rest of the New Testament, help those poor people in Jerusalem. Now, I think this is the way it works. I think they acted without wisdom. They acted in generosity, but they kind of went too far, and they acted without wisdom, and it cost them. But nobody ever scolded them for that. Nobody ever said they were stinkers. Everybody is always trying to do something to bless them. 
And that's the way the family of God ought to be. Am I making sense? And we're going to read tonight when one part's hurting and the other part can help it, you ought to help it. And so, but I want you to stop and think about this. This is probably um, just about maybe 800 miles from here to here. Uh, it's, it's not that far. But in a world where most people never ever got 40 miles away from their village, uh, this, 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 you know, Paul's a jet setter traveling around the Mediterranean doing what he's doing. Now, having looked at Jerusalem over here, and Philippi up here and the Corinth, he's trying to get, he's going to talk about these people in Macedonia, but basically it's Philippi, that were so generous. And these weren't real rich people. These were kind of poor people. And they were doing so much to help here. These people were quite well off. And he's trying to say, get out of yourselves and, and let God prosper you by giving and blessing other people. And I want you to think about this, though that if, if I was to point this pointer down here someplace um, and kind of over, like, can you see my little pointer thingy? Yeah. Okay, now watch. I'm going to point it down, but I'd have to go way down underneath the floor to get way down here somewhere, and I'd be in Kenya. And then I'd go over here someplace, and I'd be about um, probably in New York City, and if I went that way with my pointer, see it over there on the wall? Uh, I, I'd start to be in Hawaii. And we're doing the same kind of stuff that they're talking about here. And our church, you know, have you ever figured out that if you started to really get involved in Hope Chapel, that this is an expensive church to go to? Huh? I, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, Compassion International. Uh, we had over 500 people sign up to sponsor a child for years. 38 bucks a month in Compassion International. Uh, we're getting ready to, to rev the motor up for Samaritan's Purse where we ask you to go out and buy a shoebox or, you know, my, last year my wife and I did 20 of them. That was our Christmas present to each other. We're filled with little candy, some toys, maybe some socks, uh, some toothpaste, a toothbrush, just some, some stuff. But then they put a little Christian comic book in the local language. And, uh, and, and then now they're offering a discipleship course for kids that go through this thing. And they, they've given away 18 million shoeboxes in the last two decades around the world. And we get to participate in that. And uh, last year, our, our boxes went to Mongolia. Uh, the year before that, they went to Peru. We're, we're making a difference in the world. But it, but it takes us being willing to get out of ourselves and be generous and, and then watch God do the kind of things that he does uh, for generous people. And, and so I want to just get into the text. And it won't take long tonight because it's pretty straightforward. In verse 1 of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God, is doing in his, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Notice the way he says it. What God in His kindness has done. What God has done through the churches in Macedonia. In other words, it wasn't what the Christians of Macedonia did. It's what God did when He put it in their heart to be generous and then they went and they blessed the people in Jerusalem. You know, I wasn't going to say this tonight. It wasn't part of what I was thinking about for the sermon. But my friend Dave just whispered to me and, and, and said something about, you know, your definition of, of prosperity. My definition of being prosperous is the Bible says that the Lord will prosper godly people. He'll prosper generous people. My, genera- my, my definition personally of prosperity is that I can always give without thinking about it. Think about that. I don't, you know, I drive a nine-year-old car, and it's got 40,000 miles on it. So 
I'm kind of counting on that car getting willed to somebody when I die at the rate that I'm putting miles on the car. It's just, you know, it's, it's 40,000 miles. It's, it's still the newest car I ever owned in my life. Um, but it, 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 I, I don't need a lot of stuff. I don't go to expensive restaurants. I, you know, I don't do that kind of stuff. I don't care about that kind of stuff. But what I do care about is I want to make a difference in the world. I want to be somebody that God can do something through me that makes the world into a better place. And, and so he says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor. But they're also filled with abundant joy in the Lord. They're excited about the Lord. That's where it all starts. Because if you're not excited about the Lord, and I'm up here talking about giving, you're going to walk out of here with a sour face on tonight. You know, I remember one time I was, we were talking about this this morning in a, in a discipleship group I'm in. One time I got up and I was going to teach about tithing, which I'm not doing tonight. But I, I got up and announced I'm going to teach about tithing. We were at Ben Parker School. And there was this brand new couple in our church, first day. Both very tall. She looked like a fashion model. Super well-dressed. Um, the seating, uh, kind of where you guys are, Peter and Susan. And there's a door, kind of where that door is over there. And I said, open your Bibles up to Malachi. Today I'm going to talk about tithing. They looked at each other like, boy, we are in the wrong place. And they just got up <clears throat> like this, and they marched out the door. And, uh, you know, at first it kind of freaked me out. I didn't know what to do. And, and then it struck me funny. And, 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 and as they're just kind of haughtily walking out the door, I, I, I just <laughs> like this and, and, and looked at them and the whole congregation burst out in laughter and it was like the laughter went Boom, you know and they, they went at the door with their tail between their legs I mean they were hurting by the time they they, they walked 15 feet and, 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 and they started out and they walked out like this and uh, you know what it comes from joy if you have the joy of the Lord the boss says joy of the Lord is our strength if you have the joy of the Lord in you then you're going to want to be the Lord's vessel to do stuff in the lives of... Am I making sense? I mean, it makes perfect sense. And, and it can only come. So he says, the people in Macedonia are poor people. And they're going through some troubles. When Paul was in Macedonia, he was beaten up and put in jail and all this. They're going through some tough times. But they're so filled with joy that it's an overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us, get this, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They begged us. You know, I've had times when, when, when I've had to try to tell people, hey, stop. You know, you, you're doing a little too much here. Back off just a little bit. And sometimes that needs to happen. You need to back off. Other times, it, I mean, that in the long run, God's going to bless you if you give. It says over and over and over in Scripture that, you know, the, the stingy people are going to end up in want, and generous people are going to end up prospering. It, it just God promises to do that. And so these Macedonian people aren't really hurting themselves in the long run, but they begged us for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They looked at people and said, there's somebody worse off than me, and I want to take what I have, and I want to bless them. I knew a woman uh, in Southern California that was... Um, um, she she was she probably was a was struggling with depression, um, but the way she came off was always kind of about her. Life was about her and not about the people around her, and and she was always kind of miserable. 
And uh, we had a, a ministry that went on to uh, handicap people, it, kids. Um, uh, some kids that were born physically handicapped. Uh, we had quite a number of young motorcycle-caused paraplegics in our church. We actually reached out, and we would go to this care home where these guys lived. And, and every Friday night when I'd preach, there would be like 25 young people in wheelchairs. And so we had this ministry to... Um, to, to physically handicap children. And they were going someplace, and they were short of help one day. And, and so this lady, I saw her, and I, just, and I just said, you know what, those guys really could use your help today. Why don't you go and help them? And um, I, I remember that night, it was a Saturday, and I was preaching in church, and the thing that whatever event that it was got over, and everybody was down in the parking lot breaking up. And I, I saw this woman. She came in the back of the auditorium, just glowing in the dark. I mean, smile about this wide and just waved at me. Like, you know, thank you for getting me to do that. When she went and got out of herself and got into somebody else's life and their situation and their needs and their problems, uh, it, it, it gave joy to her. It changed her countenance. Am I getting anywhere with this? And so it says in verse 5, they did even more than we had hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. Uh, this, what he's really saying is they gave themselves to the Lord, and as a result of that, they trusted in us as leaders in what we were trying to do, and they were willing to go there. So it says they did even more than we'd hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. God wants you to give yourself to the Lord. God wants you to be in a setting where you can trust leadership and you're willing to go with the flow in terms of where the church is going and the things that, that we're doing as a church. Am I making sense? You know, you know I, I make jokes about this is an expensive church, but it really is. I, I, I mean, we want to be a generous church. We want to change the world. And it costs money to do that. And we've always wanted to do that. And, 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 and now, you know, with the change of leadership, Carl, that's like top of his agenda, that this church would be known for its generosity. And, 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 you know, it, it isn't really that expensive when you stop and think about it. I mean, uh, you, you, you shoebox. If you pack it, you stuff it, you really go all out. You buy a pair of shoes at Ross's to throw in there along with the other goodies. You'd be really hard-pressed to spend $20. That isn't much. $7.80 for three pairs of glasses. I mean, think about that. For... for about, what, $2.60, you can drastically transform someone's life. Um, and it, it, it doesn't take very much for us to do very much, and we can accomplish a great deal if we pull together and do it. You know, we're a church of 2,500 people on a big Sunday, uh, which probably means that we're a church of about 3,300 people in attendance. And to show up in 13 days with a thousand pairs of glasses. What, what, what is that? Am I, you know, I'm not trying to, Tom already made the commercial about the glasses. I'm trying to use it as an illustration uh, that if we're generous, uh, uh, we can really, really make a difference in the world. Uh, just think about if you're living in Kenya, most of the world lives on less than a dollar and 25 cents a day, over half the population of the world. And so if you want to buy a pair of glasses in Kenya, you're probably very good chance going to pay more than you pay for them in the United States because 
we don't have the su supply chain that goes into third world countries. I was watching a deal uh, last night on TV. Do you ever watch House Centers International? Do you, do you, ever, do you ever watch Million Dollar Rooms? I, that, that program makes me gag. I, I, I literally get nauseated when I, I look at this. And here's some guy bragging. I, I saw this last night. I, I was watching this thing on television. Yeah, I spent at least $800,000 over that on the roof of my swimming pool. And, you know, there, there, there's another guy, and he's got a three-story gym. He's got racquetball. He's got basketball. He's got this. He's got this. He goes, yeah, it was $18 million. And, and I'm going, give me a break. You don't understand what $18 million could do for people that are hurting? You know, Rick Warren's church, you know, Saddleback, the, 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 the book, uh, Purpose Driven Life, uh, Rick made a ton of money off of that book. I mean, it sold like 30 million copies, and he's become an extremely generous man. But their church, they, they've, they've taken a whole African nation, and they've said, we are going to go into make this nation our project, and, and we're going to bring the gospel, we're going to plant churches, we're going to build schools, we're going to build hospitals, we're going to see if, we, if it's possible for a rich bunch of Americans to actually, without the government being involved, because the government knows how to screw things up really good. Uh, we are going to go in and we're going to see if we can transform an entire nation and bring them into the kind of a world that would probably still be a third world country. They're not going to be real rich when these guys get done. But they're going to have Christian-based values. They're going to be people who care for the poor. They're going to be people who are looking to bless the people around them instead of being some warlike state that's run by a bunch of corrupt individuals. We're going to make a difference. It, it, it takes something to do it, but if you're, if you're committed, you can do it. Am I making sense? Well, you know, if you want to learn to be generous, hang out with generous people. There's a scripture in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, that says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools, get in trouble. Well, hang around with generous people, you're going to probably become more generous. Hebrews 10.24, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago in church, says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to, to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways to, to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. You know, I, I was uh, um, in, in my discipleship group that, that I do on Saturday mornings. It's growing. It's kind of fun watching it grow. And uh, we, we have a guy uh, named Mike... Uh, What's his name? Deaver? What's Mike's last name? Danner. Mike Danner. Mike Danner is, uh, uh, got involved with the homeless people living down here behind the library. And uh, it's been several years now. And he's made a big commitment to it. And he, uh, he, he, he's been a successful building contractor in Alaska, where you do pretty well. Uh, owns, I believe, three pieces of real estate, including the house that his family lives in in Kaneohe. And he decided that if he was going to make a difference with these people, he had to get credibility with them first. They had to trust him. And so he started going down there and pitching a tent three nights a week and living among them. And now he has gone down there and moved down there. He's living there with these people. And he's working on bringing them to the Lord. He's going... This is a slow ministry. It ain't going very fast, but it's going. And, uh, and, and his wife comes down now three nights a week and, and lives with him. He'll go, you know, he goes home, but, but he lives there. And, and it's like, oh my gosh. But you, can you imagine 
there's like eight or nine of us in this room. Uh, what's going on in all of our minds every time that we see Mike? It's like, oh my gosh, go away from me. You convict me. It's just being around you, just, you know. And, and, and yet, you know, one of the guys in the group is a generous person. He just loves to give, and God's blessed him, and so he's got what he can do. And as, as soon as he hears about what Mike's doing, right away he's, he's looking for projects. What do you need? What do you need? You know, let me come down there. The first day they met Mike, he's down there uh, looking at what they need. Uh, and he'd been sharing the Lord with a guy, and it turned out that he had planted some seed in that guy's life, and Mike had kind of you know, watered the seed, and now the guy is, is, is gone from being homeless. So he's, he went and, and put himself into IHS's housing, and then he kind of graduated from there to another housing situation. And, and you know, you, you see this movement, but what's happening is everybody else is learning by hanging out with these guys that, oh, you know what, I could do something like that too. And, and, and it starts to, to you know, we rub off on each other. Am I making sense? Yes. This is a very good time to make a commercial for mini church. <laughs> you hang out in, in, in mini church and, 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 and things like this happen and you start to hear stories like this. It changes your life. It's good stuff. Well, Paul talks to the people in Corinth and, and, and basically uh, they're kind of prideful people. You get the feeling when you read the book of Corinthians. Uh, they got a lot of little problems. They, they got a lot of faith. They have a lot of good things going on in their church, but uh, they, 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 they're, they're kind of arrogant. They're fighting with each other. Paul, I mean, the reason he wrote these two letters, we've been talking about this, is to kind of scold them. In verse 7, I think he's talking a little, uh, you know, sarcastically. He says, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, Notice he says, your love from us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Since you're so good at so many things, let's get good at giving. And he goes on and says, I'm not commanding you to do this. That would be wrong. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. You know, when you, you look at this and you think about this and, and we, we, we get down to it, the ultimate act of giving has always got to be the cross. Everything that we do is not about Hope Chapel at all. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on that cross. And so when, the, when we talk about the Lord doing something through us that blesses other people, uh, it's always got to come back not to... Oh, my friend is generous. I mean, that's, we learn from that. My friend is generous. I'm learning to be generous from my friend. But my friend is not the benchmark. God is the benchmark. God is the great giver. And what he did on the cross for us is the mark. That's why we share, share communion. You know, when Jesus said uh, to take communion, when, what he said was, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And, and what I think he's really trying to say is, it's not going to be very long before religion takes hold. And you turn Christianity into a bunch of, of moral rules. And keep every time you do communion, come back and, and, and remember me. Remember me. Remember what I did. Remember what this is all about. This is about love, not rules. This is about transformation, not morality. Am I making sense? And I think that we get communion all wrong in the modern church. I really do. I, and I, I'm not going to try and change it. 
Well, I am going to try and change it. <laughs> I'm not going to try and do less than what we do. I want to do more than what we do. I think that the early Christians, from whatever I can figure out reading history, probably had communion with every meal. They probably celebrated the Lord's death until he comes by doing this with every meal. I think that you know our business of, 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 of praying over food, uh, that's got its roots in the New Testament. But I think, I think that probably when they were praying to what we say bless the food, I think they were praying to let's remember what the Lord did. And let's, as we break bread, let's remember that his body was broken for us. As we drink whatever it is the heck we're drinking. Uh, you know, I, I remember back in the 70s, uh, there was a church someplace, there was a Catholic priest, and he was trying to attract young people. And so he did communion with um, hamburger and Coke. Burgers and Cokes. And boy, did, did the whole world take notice of that. This guy got in so much trouble. And it made the news. It was in Time magazine. I mean, he was like going to get killed for what he did. Uh, but but it, and the Lord did say, you know, the bread and the wine. I understand that. But they drank bread and wine with every meal. And we don't. But what I think we do is we make it into a religious institution by doing it only at church only once a month. And what we ought to really do is make it a part of our life so that we're remembering, so that when I'm up here talking to you about giving, you're not thinking whatever, you know, like that couple I told you about that were sitting in the seats where you're sitting. <laughs> They're generous people. But, but you're, you're thinking about what the Lord did. And that your, your benchmark is always the Lord. And we go from there. Am I making sense? So it goes on and says, here's my advice. Verse 10. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. In other words, a year ago, they got all revved up and they were going to take this offering for the poor people in Jerusalem. And then apparently they ran out of gas. So here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give. And you were the first to begin to do it. In other words, they had probably made a big show of their generosity. And then he says, now you should finish what you started. In other words, you know, come on, you guys, get real here. You, 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 you blow the horn about how generous you're going to be. And these poor people of Macedonia are actually doing something, and you're not. And so he goes, you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched by your giving. And he says, give in proportion to what you have. And to me, when the Bible talks about tithing, 10% of my income, that's my starting point. Give in proportion to what you have. To my knowledge, I have tithed 10 cents on every dollar I've ever learned earned in my life. And that, to me, is the beginning point. What I found by that is that if I'm faithful in that, God is faithful to me. And, 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 and he opens the windows of heaven and a blessing is poured out. That's wonderful. But that's the starting point. I want to go beyond. I can remember as a young pastor, uh, bought our first house, $30,500. Now it's today, it's in Manhattan Beach, California. It's probably worth about a million two. It was a 68-year-old house. It, had had a, it was a farmhouse when it was a pig farm. It was the original farmhouse in the neighborhood. The bathroom was added to it many years later. It, you know, And... Uh, we, we moved, we'd lived in I don't know how many apartments, and we had two little kids, and, and pastoring this church, and, 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 and I had saved enough money to, to 
put as a down payment on a house, and then I went and started the church, and ended up putting all my money in the church, all of it, got down to zero. And then two days later, miraculously, three checks came in the mail uh, that totaled like $600, which is what I was theoretically supposed to earn in a month. And, and just, boom, there's this money that's, that's there. It's great. And, but, but very shortly after that, we had saved enough money to make a down payment and buy a house. Maybe two and a half years after going stone broke, we, we had enough money to buy a house, except when it came to, we didn't understand closing costs. And it came down to having to go and, and, and sign the papers. We were $45 short. And we literally went around the house. And in those days, they recycled glass soda bottles, remember? And, uh, and we went through the sofa cushions and found money. We went in, in the coin jar on top of the dresser. We went and did everything we could, and we were $45 short. And I had to go ask the guy that was the volunteer associate pastor, can I borrow 45 bucks from you to close the escrow? Now, there's two 45s in this story, and I'm not making it up. Um, about a month later, we're getting kind of situated in the house. Maybe it was only a couple weeks later. I don't know. But we had somewhat recovered financially, and we went out and bought for the first time in our life a washing machine. My wife had a washing machine. It cost $45. It was used. This is when a washing machine probably cost about $300. And so we were so thrilled because we had lived in apartments and you know sometimes you live in an apartment you got to go to the laundromat down on the boulevard other times you got to live in an apartment and and there's a actually there's a washer and a dryer in the basement of the apartment and you got to go shove quarters in the thing and hope that your neighbors aren't in there first and and we'd gone through all that and so now she's going to finally have a washing machine and and uh and, and so we're so thrilled and and the washing machine lasted two days and it broke it died it died and so I don't know how it got into church, but somehow um, the, it got to church that, that I was, you know, bought this great washing machine for my wife and no more washing machine. And a guy named Don Stewart uh, comes to me after church and, and, uh, and he goes, I, I want you to meet me at Sears in an hour. And uh, I, the Lord told me to buy your wife a washing machine. And so we, uh, we were just out of our minds. Nothing like that had ever happened to us in our life. And so we went over to Sears, and immediately we found the cheapest washing machine that they sold. And got him really mad at us. I mean, the guy really, he, I mean, he was really, he, he later on came to work for us. He, he became our, our church administrative pastor, executive pastor, and he was a, uh, He's a big, tall guy. He was about to become a vice president of McDonnell Douglas Corporation and instead chose to come to work for our church. But I was forever intimidated of this guy. Now, I'm his boss, and I'm scared of him. And I used to be one of these guys that would never confront people. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just telling you this. Um, I would never, you know, if I, if I was mad at Keith, I wouldn't say anything to Keith. I'd go say something to Aaron. How about that stupid Keith? Can you imagine, you know? He's supposed to be leading worship last Saturday night. And he goes to some stupid graduation party. And he's been sick. And we all think he's dead now because he's not here in church. And he's at a party having fun. And we're praying for him. And, you know, that really happened. <laughs> but anyway, I would never go to Keith. I would just go to somebody else. If I would go to Don, Don would go, so what would you say to Keith? And I got so scared of Don that I got over my fear of Keith. <laughs> Uh, it worked. But I remember going to the store with Don, and we, we just went and picked out the, the washing machine. Why did you pick out that one? 
And we go, well, it's what we need. No, it's not. You picked it out because it's the cheapest, didn't you? Yeah. And that, then, then you picked the wrong one. I told you God told me to buy you a washing machine. You go back over and you take 30 minutes. And you walk over and you look at the features on every one of those washing machines. And you pick out the washing machine that your wife needs. And so we got a mid-range washing machine that was what we needed. And Don later on taught me, if, if you need a Volkswagen, don't buy a Mercedes. But if you need a Mercedes, don't buy a Volkswagen. You, 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 you do, his theory was called good enough. In other words, that washing machine is not good enough. That one's good enough. That one over there, you don't need because it's got more features than you'd know what to do with. Get what's good enough. But... Can you imagine what happened to two young kids that were trying to start out and be pastors and scared out of our brains and, and going through what we're doing? I mean, Don was like old. He was 38 years old and he was coming to our church. And uh, there, there were three guys, that, that, three families that came. Um, they had all got baptized in the Holy Spirit and they were in this church that didn't like that. And so they all came to our church. And all three of the men were old guys. They're all 38 years old. And... And we were, we were just so thrilled to have old guys in our church. I, I, I mean, I was like 26, 27 years old. And these guys believe in us, and they're old. And then one of them comes and buys my wife from Washington. He's like, oh, what's this heaven on earth? Now think about a pair of glasses on some grandmother that's never seen her grandchild's face, clearly. For $2.60 some odd cents. Or the times that you guys all put up with me traveling halfway around the world to all these places where I go to. And you know, I was in the Ivory Coast, one of the poorest, most war-ridden nations on the planet. And in five minutes, we talked about how to start a church in a house without paying a pastor. And they went berserk. They went nuts. And, and I go, what's going on? Because they all speak French. And I had to ask the translator, why are they, why are they writing notes so furiously? Well, because that guy just taught us how to start a church without waiting for Americans to send us money. See, they don't really even want our money. They, 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 they want our, our love, our friendship. They want whatever we got. But the fact that you guys are willing to let me go do what I do, and, and, and that, that that's an investment in itself. We can make such a difference. Am I making sense? I'm actually having a lot of fun up here, and the clock's running out, and I'm not even halfway through the sermon. Anyway, he says, given in proportion to what you have, to me it starts with a tithe and it goes on from there. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. That's the key. Give it with joy in your heart. And give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. In other words, don't go borrow money so you can give money away. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. That would be stupid. He says, I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty. And you can help those who are in need. Later on, they will have plenty, and they'll be able to share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. God has a way of evening things out, and he would like to even things out in the body of Christ, that when you're in need, somebody meets your need. Later on, when they're in need, you're able to meet their need. And it works that way. Am I making sense? You know, we had a thing happened today in our discipleship. There's a, there's a man in this room that is so cowardly that, that it just gives me great pain to go, 
rack stand up. <laughs> Look at it, he won't even stand up. What a chicken. Come on, stand up. That's him. <clears throat> Listen, here's the story. This guy for about five, six years has been pastoring a church on Friday nights in Kalihi Valley. He started with some kids that were in, in the gang deal. Three different times, their church services have been attacked by rival gangs. People have gone to the hospital. He's a man of great courage. And how old are you? How old? 59. And he's, and, and he's basically a youth pastor. He's working with, with, with high school kids, basically. And phenomenal thing is happening. And you know what? They're, they're a mile and a half away at the most from, not even that far, from New Hope Farrington, which is the biggest church in the state and, and doing a wonderful job. But I tell you, that church is never going to reach the kids that Rack's reaching. If it wasn't for Rack, nobody would be reaching it. But he has this little thing called fear of teaching about tithing. And we all rag on him, and it's been an ongoing thing for years. And so Friday night, he got up and he actually he started. He told me how he did this thing. He told us all today. He he goes, uh, who's good at math here? You know, what's what's a tenth of a dollar? It's ten cents. What's a tenth of two dollars? Twenty cents. What's it? He gets it up to five dollars, and he taught the kids on tithing. And what did you say you got? Uh, offering was about twenty dollars. Well, here's the thing: Rack and Veronica support the church with their tithes. It wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for their tithes. And Fetus is tithing. There's some adults that are tithing to that church. And, it, and it's, that's why it exists. Do they need 20 bucks? They probably can get by without 20 bucks a week. 20 bucks a week comes to $1,040 in a year. I happen to know how much money they have in their savings account. They can get by without it. But those kids desperately need to give it. And Rack tells us, and I'm teasing him about being a coward, but he, but he tells us it scares him to get there. Like the kids are all going to leave if you teach them about tithing. They didn't leave. They all got excited and they, 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 they dumped money in the plastic bucket. That's good. That's good. We need to be generous people. We need to be taught to be generous. We need to see the results of our generosity. It makes the church work. Chapter 8, verse 20. It says, We're traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we're handling this generous gift. We are careful to be honorable before the Lord. We also want everyone else to see that we are honorable. All he does is he inserts a little thing. It says that there's a group of us traveling together so you'll know that nobody stole the money. You know, We learned in church early on to not let anybody count the money all by themselves because once in a while somebody gets tempted in a church and you hear a bad story that goes on. We've never had it happen. Thank God for that. Well, he talks about results. He says, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure that you are really ready, as I've been telling them that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. In other words, I'm sending this letter. It'll get there early. 
these guys are going to show up. I told them that you've been collecting money, and when they show up, I'm sure hoping that there's money there that you collected. He goes on and says, verse 4, we'd be embarrassed not to mention your own embarrassment if some of the Macedonian believers, the poor people in Macedonia, came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift that you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one that's given grudgingly. I want it to be a willing gift, not one that's given grudgingly. You know, he says give according to what you have. I'm talking tonight about buying some glasses for $2.60. There's a man that comes to Kahala that's pretty well off financially. And so what might be a three pairs of glasses for you is a computer for him. And Charlie Mixon put the word out about eight, nine days ago that they needed a computer at that orphanage that they're going to in Kenya. And this computer was sitting in my uh, office at home, my little study, because it was given to me to give to some guys in Japan to smuggle into Mongolia. And when I say smuggle, what I mean is if a Mongol goes in with a brand new computer plus his computer in a bag, uh, this one's probably going to end up at customs and it's going to stay there and it's going to go home with somebody that's the wrong person. Uh, but Japanese businessmen go in there and the computers get in. So we have this little thing going and every so often this guy just comes to church with a computer. And then my job is to get it to Japan and then their job is to get it into Mongolia. And so Charlie said, I need a computer. And so I go uh, uh, get a hold of this guy and I go, would it be okay if this one went to Kenya instead of Mongolia? And of course, then he writes back and says, do they need two? And they don't. They need one. And so only one's gone. But it, it, it makes a difference. Can you imagine the difference that that's going to make over there? And so he's just saying, let's be people who are generous and go on with it. Verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. You notice this. It says three things here. That if you plant generously, you're going to reap generously. If you plant sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And that's just, you know, we, we have one tomato plant in our backyard. We got five tomatoes on it. If we had two, we'd have ten tomatoes. It, you know, it's just the way it is. But then he goes on and says that um, decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't give reluctantly. You, you ought to be able to give with the thought of thanksgiving to the Lord for what he's done in your life. It ought not to be a reluctant thing. On the other hand, don't give in response to pressure. I hate it when I go to some church or some Christian meeting and they get up and take almost as long as I'm taking with this sermon to talk about taking the offering. And they pressure people to give. You know, I've actually been in churches in my childhood. I've been in churches where somebody stood up and said, I need 10 people, big crowd, several thousand people. I need 10 people tonight who are, who are going to raise their hand and say, I'll give $1,000 to this thing. I need X number of people who are going to give $100 to this thing. I want you to come right down here in the front. And maybe gag me with a spoon. I mean, this is horrible. The Bible says when you give, don't let your left hand know what 
your, your right is giving. Keep it a, a, a secret. Don't, don't make a big show out of your giving. But, you know, don't be reluctant. But don't be given into pressure. You know, I see a lot of stuff that comes, I don't know what you get in your house in the mail, but I get a lot of starving children letters in my house in the mail. And I want to be careful that I'm giving money to people who are going to take the gospel along with the food and not just the food all by itself. And, and so I don't give in, in, re, in response to pressure. Uh, you know, we do Compassion International. We do Samaritan's Purse. If you know how much mail comes into this office uh, begging for our, our church to get involved, we, we're very selective of, of what we bring to you guys. We bring a lot to you, but we're selective about it because um, you know, we're just going to be right about it. Well, he goes on and says, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. If you can't give it cheerfully, keep it. And it says, God will generously provide for all you need, and then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. See, to me, that's my definition of prosperity. I'll have all that I need plus plenty to left, left over to share with others. That's the way I want to live my life. As the scriptures say, quotes from Psalms, they share freely and they give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I want you to think about this. Seed for the farmer and then basically bread for the table. If you're a farmer and you reap a harvest and you take all the seed and you make it into bread, you're going to starve next year. True? But God provides seed for the farmer, which means, first priority, really, is that next year you're going to be able to plant for another harvest. And there's always going to be bread for the table. God will provide both. And he's saying that if we give sparingly, we reap sparingly. If we give generously, we reap generously. That, that God's going to make sure that he supplies enough that we can have the bread and we can have the seed for next year's thing. That, that my needs can be met. I can make the mortgage payment. I can do what i got to do. Now, you got to use some sense. You know, this whole Financial Peace University here is, a, is basically a deal to get you out of debt. And I've lived my life, you know, somebody got to me very young, Don Stewart, the guy who bought me the washing machine, got me in a lot of ways. It was a very good relationship. I learned so much from that man. But two times in my life, I bought a car and made payments on the car. Every time I bought a house, I made payments on the house. But other than that, and I use my credit card every day for everything because I get money back at Costco on the thing, right? But I pay it off at the end of every month. I just don't carry any debt. So what I did was early on when all my friends had fancy new cars, I was driving a used car because I was not going to do the debt thing. And so if I buy a car, I'm going to cash the car. Why? Because I'm not paying somebody 18% of my money so I can borrow some of their money. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it. So you've got to use some common sense in the way that you're spending. But God says he'll supply your need and he'll supply enough that you could be generous. Am I getting is this good? I'm sorry for going on this long tonight, but this is one of my favorite things to talk about because it's worked in my life. It's worked in my life. It says, 
God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And then when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. And two, they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Remember, this is God working through us. As a result of your, your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Christ. In other words, the gospel made a difference in your life to the point of generosity. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given to you. Thank God for this gift to Wonderful for Words. Uh, God wants to bless us and, and uh, thank God for the fact that he works this way in our life is what Paul's saying. And I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you did on that cross for us. Lord, that you took away our guilt. You took away our shame. Lord, you've taken away ugly habits. Last week on, on the way out of church, I was talking to a, the sweetest lady, and she was bound for years and years and years in alcoholism. She gave her heart to you less than a year ago and was instantly delivered of it. Lord, she, she's gone through, she lost most of her teeth from the way she's lived, and the way she's been, and, 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 and I found out she's getting a whole new set of teeth in her mouth. And, and the joy and the smile that's on that face. Lord, to me, that's what you do. You redeem broken humanity. We're so thankful for that, for your generosity to us. But Lord, as we reflect that, we, we want our relationship with you to show in terms of the way that we view the world and the way that we interact with the world around us. Lord, in church, through church, but Lord, in our daily life, in our, in our neighborhood, we want to be generous people. We want to be people who are, are, are willing to let your grace flow through our lives. And Lord, as we do, we do it in faith and we do it trusting you. And we do it believing that you're going to make it possible for there to be bread on the table and seed for next year as well. In Jesus' name we pray.